Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 11th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And I know this seems hard to believe, but we're already second week of the second half of the year. And as always, you are here to hear myself or Steve give you some unbiased guidance. And that is our goal here. Each and every weekday is to give you our perspective, the information that we have, and try to give you a balanced view, right? An unbiased view of whatever topic we're discussing, whether that's something I'm bringing to the table or it's something you're bringing to the table. So I hope you call me with your investing questions. And when and if you make the time to call, you take charge of the program to shape it to your liking and to your advantage. And as always, we are here to help you take that next step in your own journey to financial freedom. Now today in this hour, I'm going to do my best to move you along that path one step at a time. Now my main talking point today concerns the story about earnings and how analysts expect banks to be a brighter area of the stock market or a brighter area of the earnings season than most expect. And especially in relation to the overall earnings season which is expected to be negative growth year over year for the second quarter. As well as in relation to their performance recently for the overall market. You wouldn't expect that they, the financials actually, are expected to lead the charge in earnings for the second quarter year over year. So we're going to touch on that, and I'm going to give you a lesson on why earnings growth doesn't always mean that particular sector of the market is going to move the way you expect it to move, both on the upside and the downside. So we're going to touch on that today. Also. One one topic I didn't get to on Monday, which was to check in on the tax cuts and see who felt it the most, right? Who, what area or segment of the income distribution felt the tax cuts the most and to what degree? We're going to talk about that. Also... Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, 
finished up his testimony in front of the Senate Banking Committee uh, today, yesterday and today, and I'm going to go over what he said and what that means for interest rates, and I'm going to give him maybe a little pat on the back as well as some criticism as well. And then lastly, there was an earnings report that came out today from an industrial name. And I'm going to talk about why this might be a harbinger of things to come for the second quarter. Because this is a large name and it has a lot of implications or the things that they were saying have a lot of implications for other companies within our economy. So those are the things that are on my mind. Those are the things that I want to hear or I'm going to talk about on the show, but ultimately what's on your mind is probably far more interesting to you. So please give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's look at the market today. Uh, We were basically down from the start, uh, mainly on the small caps. Small caps ended... Uh, the market kind of rallied late in the day a little bit, and the small caps uh, ended only down about half a percent. They were down about 1% for most of the day. They started off a big sell-off early on, whereas the major indexes, the S&P, the NASDAQ, they kind of held steady early in the morning. And then we had a sell-off later, you know, kind of mid-morning, and a double bottom and a little rally into the close. So, Transportations did well, transportation index, and actually the REIT sector and healthcare did the worst, did the worst uh, as well as gold miners, global mining index. So it was a pretty interesting mixed day in the market, but overall, you're, if you look at the broader indexes, the, the Russell, which is 2,000 stocks, that was down about half a percent on the day. And... I think part of this is an increase in interest rates, and we're going to talk about a little bit later on why interest rates have now had a nice little rally from a low just about five or six days ago before the 4th of July. That's what I have planned for this show on today, but first, let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kyle from San Dimas calling about Halliburton, H-A-L, stock. I own some shares. I need to know right now is a good time to purchase some Warner shares. Thank you. All right. He's looking at Halliburton. H-A-L is the symbol. We took a look at a longer term chart because this stock has certainly taken it on the chin. This is one of the largest oil service companies in the world. A $20 billion market cap, but that's down dramatically, right? Like I said, 2014, this traded at $74 a share, the high, and now we're at $23 a share. So clearly uh, down a ton, almost to levels where we were back in 2009. And the reason is because oil prices fell precipitously through 2014 and 15. You had a little rebound in 16 and 17, and now this stock has had a steady downtrend since the middle part of, of last year. And the reason is is because earnings and sales are declining. 
sales, I guess, are flat. 0% year-over-year growth in sales over the last two quarters. But earnings are down 44% year-over-year last quarter and 23% the quarter before that. It does yield about 3% on the dividend, which is which is nice. Let's take a look at their debt profile. Oh, about $9.5 billion in net debt in their balance sheet on a $20 billion market cap. Not a ton of debt, but certainly not nothing as well. You have the dividend pay ratio of 35%, but the cash dividend pay ratio of 108%, meaning their cash flow is not covering the dividend that they're paying out. And that can be sustainable for a short period of time, but not over the long term. Now, their business is, is volatile. It tends to be volatile with oil prices all over the place. So you're banking on a return to a healthier oil market. And frankly, I'm not that optimistic long term, to be honest with you. Now, technically, it's absolutely at some support. Uh, from a valuation standpoint, you have enterprise value to EBITDA of 7 which is rather low, but the industry overall tends to trade at a, in, in the single digits on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis. This bottomed out in 2012 at four enterprise value to EBITDA, as well as 17, around four. So I think this is more downside. So I don't like it. I think there's oversupply of oil. I would not be buying Halliburton here. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. You and I both know that no one can really predict, accurately predict exactly where the markets are going to go. So you got to be prepared to handle market volatility and your portfolio needs to be balanced to do so. So Steve and I can help you. Your calls and inquiries are always welcome at our KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and now more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance, right? Of course you do, because it can help you achieve financial freedom. If you live anywhere in Northern California, you should register to meet in person with Steve Peasley in San Jose on July 31st. But for now, Justin Klein is here, and he's taking your calls live. Step up with your questions. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. And I always urge you to call sooner rather than later. We have about 35 minutes left. Now let's take a quick look at some benchmark numbers on this Thursday afternoon. The 10-year Treasury yield is now at 2.13, and that's pretty interesting to me. Uh, You have had a large pullback in the yield on the 10-year Treasury from about 3.12 near the high, 3.15, to down below 2% in the span of just about nine months or so. So it's been a rather quick move and a large, large drop in the cost of capital, the cost of borrowing, right? Now, after hitting a low of about 1.96 back on, what date was that? That was the 3rd. So the day before 4th of July, going into the 4th of July weekend, and we've basically been marching higher, down up to 2.13%. And that's about a 20 basis point move. That means it's about a 10% increase in the cost of borrowing. And 
in, in the change in interest rates. So this is going to affect a lot of instruments like mortgages. Um, and it's interesting because the market has been so, so, so dovish when it comes to expectations of interest rates moves, right? And it's ever since the fall of last year. That looks to be turning. Uh, and I said this kind of a, about a month or so ago. I said the market is so has priced in so many rate cuts. They even priced in a, a odds of a 50 basis point cut this month, which I thought was pretty crazy considering where interest rates are and where the market is. Uh, sorry, where unemployment is and the market is. Now I think though that excess is kind of being burned off. So I think we're going to get to more uh, of an equilibrium, uh, probably back into that two and a quarter, two point three five percent range on the ten-year Treasury until we get some resolution to where the economy is actually headed. You had a decent jobs number for the month of June. Uh, you just had a jobs report that came out yesterday, or, uh, yesterday as well as. The inflation report, which came out today, and that was higher than expected. And that is really what will drive interest rates uh, more long term is if inflation picks up, you're going to see interest rates pick up pretty dramatically. Now, gold was down a little bit, 14, 16 per ounce, like still consolidating. It's still consolidating here above that 1370 level, which is the kind of been the longer term resistance. And it's now broken above and consolidating above, which is a positive bullish sign for the price of gold. Oil was at $60.51. I still think some geopolitical tensions are keeping it higher, uh, but we're, we're, we are increasing the level of, we're at all-time record highs of oil production here in the United States. Now that growth year over year is slowing, but we are still producing a lot of oil and actually at oversupply. So uh, I, I don't expect oil to really rally too much more from here. Bitcoin's down 11,682, which is it's still once again consolidating above that kind of 9,000 level. If it can stay above that, I could see it moving higher. If not, then uh, I would see a breakdown and a retest of the recent lows. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and let me remind you that the Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replays provide a daily dose of market news with our unbiased commentary. And we have a fairly new offering. It's called Invest Talk Academy. It's an online training class covering a wide variety of financial investing subjects, and we do it in depth. Now here on Invest Talk, it's more surface level. Real quick, this is an hour lesson each time. You can learn more at investtalk.com, investtalkacademy.com. Excuse me. Now we're heading into a break, and I'm taking your questions live right now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. Love the show. This is Russ in Chicago. I've been collecting shares of Altria, and I now have 100 shares, and I'm looking to uh, write a covered call, just familiarizing myself and dipping my toe into the covered call waters, so to speak. In your opinion, I'd love to hear what a decent beginner's covered call would be to write on 
Altria. Uh, we'll be listening on the podcast. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, good question. Uh, he's looking at MO Altria Group. And believe it or not, uh, we actually own this uh, in our cover call strategy, Equity Income Plus. Uh, MO is a symbol, Philip Moore, or, uh, Altria Group. And we have written the 50 strike August uh, expiration uh, call, which means we've given somebody the right to buy it from us at a higher price. Right now it's at $49.26. Uh, so, you know, a little bit higher, percent and a half or so, uh, higher than, than it is now. Um, and I don't remember their premium, probably a couple percent typically is what we're getting uh, per position. And that hedges us on the downside. And, uh, you know, if it goes nowhere, and yeah, we'll still uh, collect that nice, uh, juicy premium. So uh, that's what I would do. We roll ours uh, typically every month or two uh, and go out anywhere from 30 to, to 60 days. So those are the lengths that we go. So, so that, that's how we manage our strategy is we roll those regularly and we don't write long-term options like six months, year options or anything like that. Um, too much uncertainty over that time. So we rather have uh, a kind of a lower premium and can, and rolling that consistently as opposed to tying ourselves up for extended periods of time. So that's what I would do. I'd do the August 50 strike call on Philip Morris. Let's go to Hogan in Georgia looking at AMD, correct? Uh, yes, sir. AMD, I'll, I have a question. I'm kind of new at this, and, uh, you know, I just started listening to this podcast, and I've been hooked on it. Uh, but uh, I really, I'm, I'm wondering if AMD would be good as a, um, as like a base uh, stock. When when I say that, but like a foundation stock. Uh, what do you, what, like what do you call it? Like a core holding. What would it be called? I'm sorry. Uh, you would call call that a core holding, where you're you're more of a buy and hold long term, and don't really trade that stock very often. Correct. 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 Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. So when I'm looking at core holdings, there are a few check boxes that I want to to hit, and the first is long term consistent profitability and profitability metrics as well as positive cash flow. And if you look at AMD, their return on equity jumps all over the place dramatically from uh, worse as a negative 111% in 2012 uh, up to 107% in 2009. And the trailing 12 months, they're at 22%. Last year, that 36%. So it's really all over the place. Earnings are all over the place. And that's the nature of their business, the nature of the semiconductor business. It's a boom and bust business, okay? And back in 2012, they lost 16 cents a share. Uh, then they made 16 cents a share in 2014. Then they lost 54 cents in 2015. And that 2020, they're expected to make a dollar two, and this year, 66 cents. So their business is all over the place. Now, revenues fell 23% last quarter. Earnings fell 45% year over year last quarter. Now, the stock chart started to go down with the overall market in the fourth quarter, but has rallied back to those highs. So relatively speaking, it's done better than the industry as a whole. But I want to be owning positive cash flow businesses and they've only had positive free cash flow for a handful of quarters or a handful of years 
over the last 10 years. So I don't like it. I don't like that lack of consistency, uh, not to mention the fact that right now it's near an all-time high and in a business that is very boom and bust and very cyclical. So no, this is not a name that I would be holding as a core holding in my portfolio. Now, can you own it for periods of time when semiconductors are strong? Um, you know, yes, you can do that. But as something I'm just going to sit there and ignore for 10, 15, 20 years, I wouldn't do that because of the boom and bust cycles and the innovation that can happen within the chip space that can really change their business and really either do them really well or actually put them out of business potentially. Okay. Does that make sense, Hogan? Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks for the call. Now, in tomorrow's Invest Talk, according to Fed Chairman Powell 50 years ago, the connection between unemployment and inflation was strong, but it's not so now. Now, as you might presume, a lot of effort goes into creating a new and unusual corporate name, especially for publicly traded names. So, as we go to a break, I'm going to give you a trivia question. What was the inspiration inspiration for choosing the name Verizon? Verizon. I have that next. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. Now is a good time to call Talk. Do we have a disadvantage, us investors, on the West Coast as opposed to the people that are closer to the action? They're right there in New York. And what's your question? 888-99-CHART is how to reach Justin right now on Talk. The time is now. And if you act now, the benefit to your financial future could be measurably significant. This is your chance to sharpen your investing skills through a valuable online classroom learning opportunity, InvestTalk Academy. Enrollment in InvestTalk Academy will introduce you to a weekly series of live investing classes conducted by KPP Financial Principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. You'll profit from a critical degree of focused mentoring, led by Steve and Justin. Hear their full analysis of the market. Follow along with charts and data points. Understand technical and fundamental analysis. Develop the mindset to become a successful investor. InvestTalk Academy offers an unprecedented value for serious investors. Register now at InvestTalkAcademy.com. This is Invest Talk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, I asked this question. What was the inspiration for choosing the name Verizon? And here's the answer. Now, in June of 2000, a large East Coast phone company called Bell Atlantic changed its name to Verizon Communications. This coincided with the FCC's approval of a $64.7 billion merger with telephone company GTE. The name Verizon is derived from the combination of the two words. 
Veritas, which is Latin for truth, and Horizon. That's where you got Verizon. Pretty interesting. Now, the name was chosen from among 8,500 candidates in the company spent $300 million on marketing this new brand. And obviously, they've done a good job because, hey, it's the largest wireless carrier in the United States. Let's go to Tyler in Seattle. Wants to talk about another tech company, Western Digital. Yeah, how's it going, Justin? Going well. So uh, are you looking to buy Western Digital, sell it, give it away? What is it? Yeah, I, uh, I've owned Western Digital for about a month or so for a swing trade, and I'm up about 40%. So I was just wanting to get your thoughts on uh, if you see any more room to run or if uh, now's the time to you know take some profits. Well, it's certainly up into the uh, highs from April or so, uh, around the 55 level, closed at 54 and changed today. Uh, there's the big sell-off red bar at about 56.75 from October when the whole market kind of broke down. So those are some some big levels. But if it can clear that level, the, the 56.75, I think there's actually room to run all the way to about $65 a share. I think that's where the next big resistance level lies. So um, you're certainly into some resistance. Now we've already kind of tested that six to fifty, sorry four, yeah, fifty-six and change level uh, in April. So I kind of like the odds here that this could actually break into uh, the sixties. So um, in, in probably into the low sixties. So uh, I would hold it for now. Keep a tight stop, maybe a, a five to seven percent uh, stop on on this name. Um, but I would hold it from here because I think the valuations are, are still relatively uh, decent, and I like the, the the leadership and the where they are within the tech space. So I, I like Western Digital. All right, awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Tyler. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story about bank stocks and the dismal earnings season, and the fact that banks, bank stock earnings are expected to be a bright spot of the season. Now, overall, analysts are expecting about a 25 to 3% drop in earnings year over year. But if you break down the 11 sectors, the financials outshine the rest by a big margin. They're expected to have earnings up 4.3% year over year. Healthcare, second at 2%, and industrials at 0.2% growth year over year. And that's it. The other eight sectors are expected to have a drop in earnings year over year. The worst is going to be communication services uh, with the likes of Google, uh, Facebook, Netflix, etc. Those are all names in that, that sector. And overall, you're go- likely to see a, a drop. Verizon, AT&T, uh, etc. What else? What are the other sectors that are not going to do so hot? Materials down 20% because of strong dollars, certainly is a headwind to uh, the commodity space. So that, uh, from a, an earnings perspective, uh, is hurting. But this is a good example of how just because the earnings trajectory over one particular quarter is high or low doesn't mean it can't outperform. For example, financials are doing 
terrible in relation to the overall market. Look at XLF, right? XLF is nowhere near the highs that we saw in October of last year. We're not even where we were in January, close to January of last year. Not even close to that. So financials continue to lag even though their earnings are expected to be better than the average for the quarter. Whereas materials, earnings just to fall 20, 20.5% year over year. But what's one of the best sectors right now? It's the gold mining space, right? There's been there are a lot of strong movers within that particular space. Even AT&T, AT&T's been doing well. Verizon has been doing well in a sector that earnings are not expected to be that great. Now, why are bank earnings expected to be good? Well, the first is with interest rates falling the value of a lot of their assets are now higher, especially their fixed income assets, right? Not only that, but in the fourth quarter of last year, you had a seizing up of the credit markets in, in some way. And now that interest rates have dropped, that's kind of loosened up, right? The Fed has pivoted. And now they're able to issue shares or issue credit. Help facilitate underwrite loans, underwrite bond offerings. And that becomes profit to them. Now their net interest margins are going to drop. But that's more of a long-term pressure on earnings. As opposed to a near-term bump from lower interest rates. So you can see... This is this one industry and the dynamics of the drivers of earnings can change dramatically both in the short term, positively, as well as negatively or long term. Now, bank stocks are typically cheaper. They trade at cheaper valuations than the overall S&P 500. Usually their P ratios are at about 72% of the value of the full index. Right now they're at 60% of the value of the full index. So it shows you their discount is higher than average. Part of that has to do with the fact that they've lagged so much. They've invested in new technology to still service customers, but not have the footprint, right? They're leveraging technology probably as much or more than most other industries. Now, what banks are going to do the best this quarter? Citigroup, Bank of America, JP Morgan expected to have the best growth along with Wells Fargo. The worst, Capital One Financial and Bank of New York Mellon. Now, AT&T will become the first wireless company to block robocalls free for now. Robocalls are annoying and intrusive and, to some folks, abusive. I know I get them all the time. I can't stand them. In March of 2019, there were 5.23 billion robocalls just in the month of March. 
Now that's that number's come down uh, in the month of May. But it's still annoying. Now, speaking of AT&T, keeping in mind the company recently closed its acquisition with Time Order Media and in doing so took on a ton of debt. We talked about that. I still like AT&T. We've owned it for a little while now for clients. And it's a, it's a risk. You know, This acquisition was a risk, but they now have $250 billion in debt on their balance sheet. That's more debt than most companies or countries carry. Pretty crazy. But it's a good example of how a company can transform themselves from just a pure play wireless carrier to a content creator and create synergies between different divisions of their business. And if it takes debt to do it, Sometimes that's what you got to do to survive. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And you've probably heard me say this more than once. There are really only two emotions, fear and greed. So I'm going to focus on fear real quick. And it's really about fear when the market is volatile. And is your portfolio aligned with your personal risk tolerance? I hear this all the time. Oh, I can handle volatility. I'm fine with it. But it's kind of like the, the Mike Tyson saying, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the, in the mouth. So how hard will your portfolio get punched in the mouth in a bear market? You want help figuring that out? Steve and I can help with that. You can take a risk free risk questionnaire at investtalk.com and then we pair your portfolio and figure out a strategy that works best for you. And now we're taking your questions live. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And KPP principal and InvestTalk host, Steve Peasley is pleased to announce that he will be returning to San Jose, California on July 31st to conduct his no-cost, wealth-building portfolio review consultations. If you're a serious investor, and if you live anywhere in Northern California, you should make plans now to sit down in person with Steve. He can review your portfolio and show you how to optimize its performance so you can achieve financial freedom. Appointments are limited, so don't delay. Wednesday, July 31st, Steve Peasley returns to San Jose. Register now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open and your calls are welcome. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Matt in Maryland. He wants to talk about stocks and taxes, correct? Yes, sir. Hey, Justin. Glad to be here. I love listening to you guys, Shaw. I listen every morning. Hey, I've got a question for you guys. Appreciate it. Um, so, so I know... Um, I haven't sold my stock yet. I've been holding Amazon for a few years now, and I know I'm subject to the uh, capital gains tax for long term. And I want to know if there's any yep. other additional taxes that I have on that besides um, capital gains tax. <clears throat> well, you're, yeah, you're going to pay, uh, it's going to be state tax as well, so federal and state tax, but, you know, it's long term capital gains. So, um, 
I would I would consider those two types of taxes. So would you recommend that I set up like if the next I know you guys talk about a recession upcoming possibly, would you recommend that I just uh, keep holding my stock and just eat the downturn and, and keep buying uh, as it's lower to like lower my buying average? Or um, well, what percentage of your overall portfolio is in Amazon? So I have about 120,000 and Amazon right now makes up 24,000 of that. So, so about 20% right of your portfolio. Right. And yeah, so Amazon to double. That's one of the, that's been like, that's my most highest performing stock right now. Yeah. Well, you know, Amazon over the past year and it's called a year, uh, it's really gone nowhere, right? It peaked in July, August of last year. Uh, around 2,000 a share, and that's kind of where where it's at now. Um, and I would take this opportunity to right size that position uh, down to uh, 10% or less of your overall portfolio um, and, and and diversify. So, you know, Amazon's still a very good company, um, but you know, there's potential antitrust uh, uh, action against them. Uh, as well as just a, a valuation that is extreme, to, to say the least. So um, I would absolutely use this opportunity to get that down below the 10% level. I know there's tax consequences, so maybe you want to talk to your CPA about that, but uh, it's what I would do. Thanks for the call, Matt. Now let's quickly touch on the tax cuts. We just talked about taxes and... I think everyone wants to know which tax bracket or segment of the income population benefited the most. And this is new data from the IRS. And they estimate people between making between $250,000 and a million dollars per year saw their refunds increase the most percentage-wise. Taxpayers with adjusted gross income between 250 and 500 were refunded 14.6 billion dollars this year, compared to 10.6 billion last year. Taxpayers with adjusted gross incomes between 500 thousand and 1 million were refunded 6.1 billion, up from 5.2 billion year before. Meanwhile, those making between 100 and 200,000 were actually refunded less, 4.4, I'm sorry, 44.1 billion versus 49.7 a year before. Now there were some exemptions about those who make less than 100,000, but overall their refunds were slightly lower. Now the big issue here is total liabilities fell from about 1.11 trillion to 1.048 trillion. So that's about 500 or sorry 50 about 65 billion dollars less in tax revenue. And this has created or or contributed to the massive increase in debt in our deficit. And this is a big problem. And this is why the Fed will have to go back to QE because they need to monetize the debt. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call at 888 chart
On the next Invest Talk, according to Fed Chairman Powell 50 years ago, the connection between unemployment and inflation was strong, but is not so today. And now Justin is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and uh, Justin. I would like to hear your thoughts on a stock. The company is uh, FedEx Corporation, FDX. I think this company long-term has um, attractive price appreciation potential. The stock seems to be undervalued currently, somewhat undervalued in terms of price. And as far as financial strength, I think it's a top-notch company. But I would like to hear your thoughts I'll listen on the podcast. Uh, thank you. All right, he's looking at FedEx. I don't think I really need to explain what FedEx does, uh, but they've been steadily increasing their earnings uh, over time with the rise of online retail and certainly a lot more people shipping goods throughout the world. And FedEx, along with UPS, certainly are on the top of that list of benefiting from the rise of globalization, the rise of online shopping, etc. Now, long term, if you look at their return on invested capital, return on equity, it tends to tr- tends to be in the low teens, which is good, not fantastic. Tends to have solid, positive free cash flow. Now, the last couple of years have been poor on that front. Um, but it, it's certainly a good long-term company, and it's come down from $275 a share last year to $162 a share, and the big question is where will eventually find support? It's at the, it's right around the 100-month moving average, but what worries me is that it continues to bang on it, right? Around the $150 uh, a share mark, and I can easily see this trading back down to 120 uh, would be better long-term support, 120 to 125, somewhere in there, and then even $100 a share. So from what you're looking at as a a foundation and the the fundamentals of the company are strong, Uh, I like the secular tailwinds that are going to help their business. Uh, Certainly Amazon could get into business. They've talked about that with drones, et cetera, and changing the way they deliver their products to their customers. But I think that's far off, uh, and I think FedEx will be around for a long time, and maybe they're the one that cracks that code of, of drone delivery. But I like what you're looking at. My problem is where we are in the economic cycle, where we are uh, from a technical perspective, it, it is a bearish pattern and tells me that this wants to go to, to that 125 level, maybe even to the $100 level. So I would look at those two levels and start picking up shares. Keep it on your watch list. Uh, but I do think that it will eventually get there because of the technical backdrop and the economic backdrop of FedEx. Thanks for the call. Great, great question. Now let's talk quickly. I want to touch on what Steve's going to talk about tomorrow. Steve's going to talk about Jerome Powell and how saying that there is a, re- a breakdown of the relationship between unemployment and inflation. So I'm going to give you a preview real quick and my thoughts before Steve gets to his uh, tomorrow. And my thoughts are simply, there's a breakdown because of technology and globalization, right? Typically, unemployment drove inflation. So when unemployment was low enough, the cost of labor suddenly 
started to rise because of tight labor supply, supply and demand there, right? When you have a tight labor market, high demand, low supply, prices go up, inflation goes up, income inflation goes up. Well, we're in an environment now over the past 30 years where the main driver of inflation is not employment. It's globalization. It's technology innovation that has driven down the cost to conduct business, to deliver goods, to sell, to market, to produce. It's easier to find places where it's the lowest denominator of the cheapest employment in the world as opposed to the cheapest employment simply in America. Right? So that's my two cents on his his statement. And the fact that the central bank has been fighting this inflation, this boogeyman of inflation, with lower interest rates is just idiotic. The biggest problem with our global financial system today are the central banks, our Fed, ECB, Bank of Japan, etc. But Steve will get deeper into it and give it, give you his thoughts tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein. That completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Please come back tomorrow. Steve will be here. I return on Monday. Have a good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. 